I'm your host, Morty Liss. Here on Monday Morning Motivation, we discuss the human psyche, what makes us tick, and how we can not only survive, but thrive through our week. For this week's episode, we have a real treat. This week, we interviewed Mrs. Brocha Pearl Taparovich. Mrs. Taparovich has been practicing hypnosis for over 20 years and has authored three books, including From Darkness to Dawn, Sparks of Radiance, and her newest release, Amazing Hypnotherapy Tales. Her books can be found online at mosaicapress.com, feldheim.com, and on Amazon. Links for her books will be posted in the show notes. And if you enjoy her books, please leave her a five-star review. This was one of my favorite interviews. We discuss the history of hypnosis, how it's practiced in session, what hypnosis is and what it is not, and even end up with a short hypnotic exercise that you could implement in less than five minutes to help yourself feel just a little bit happier and a bit more grounded. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Without further ado... Mrs. Bracha Pearl Taparovich. Mrs. Taparovich, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for carving out some time in your schedule for this interview. Well, I'm really honored to have been able to help in any way that I can. Thank you very much. Very much appreciated. So let's just jump right into it. How did you start getting into hypnotism? Could you explain a little bit of your background and where you're coming from? Well, sure. Um... I actually didn't know anything about hypnosis or hypnotism years ago. I mean, we, you know, just like anybody else heard about it, I heard about it, but I never thought of it as a healing modality. But many years ago, when I had a lot of pain, I was a young mother with a large family. I was in a lot of pain. And, you know, doctors just give you medication to, you know, numb the pain, but they don't really heal you. So I ended up going to a pain clinic. And the doctor in charge had many different healing modalities. So I went in the whole, first of all, she diagnosed, diagnosed me with fibromyalgia, for which um, conventional medicine has no cure. Okay. So she put me on a diet and she started doing craniosacral therapy and acupuncture and massage and, and different things. After a few months, I said, I'm not really getting any better. You know, I've been doing this very religiously for a good few months. What do you suggest? And she said, well, how about going to the hypnotist? I said, hypnotist, why would I do that? So she said, well, maybe you have internal stress and that's affecting you. So it sounded queer to me, but she was a religious woman and I, I felt I could trust her. And she said the guy was okay and I could trust him. So I said, okay, let me try. What can it hurt? So I started and after a few sessions, I was really blown away because I discovered that there was a whole world inside of me that I really knew nothing about, or maybe I knew vaguely about. And this apparently was affecting my physical body, okay, my emotions and my physical body. So I carried on being a patient for quite a while, and I saw major changes in my life. And... I had been helping women all along. I've been helping women for over 50 years now. I started out as a childbirth educator. I trained women for natural childbirth using the Lamaze method. 
And then I became a lactation consultant and I always used relaxation techniques and breathing and visualization. So hypnosis sounded to me like a good tool. I would certainly be able to help women even in a greater, you know, to a greater depth by using hypnosis. So at some point in time, I took my first course with my practitioner, my hypnosis practitioner, and I certified, and this was in 1998, I certified with the International Association of, of Counselors and Therapists. Okay, that was way back then. Uh, ever since then, I've been taking other courses with different institutes. There's a National Guild of Hypnotists, and there's British Hypnosis Research in London, and various different societies and institutes. And, and I learned many different courses used for many specific areas of hypnosis. I took specialty courses in hypno-oncology. So I was able to work with cancer patients. I took hypnofertility and I worked with infertility patients. And I took um, complementary medical hypnosis. And what that means is in my state where I lived in, I was able to work with doctors or even to work in a hospital setting. Okay. So this meant that I was able to treat physical ailments using hypnosis. Okay. And so on and so forth. Now I was always a part-time practitioner because I had a large family, but nevertheless, over many years of working with women and girls, I I never worked with males. um, I accumulated a lot of experience, a lot of amazing stories. And that's why I wrote my most recent book, which is entitled Amazing Hypnotherapy Tales. And this is produced by Mosaica Press. It's been out on the market for about half a year, and I've got tremendous feedback on the book. So that was my introduction to hypnosis and to specialty areas of hypnosis. And um, I'll tell you the truth. I was as much blown away by what was happening as my clients were. I'm sure. But seeing people change in real time like that, it, it must be such a satisfying experience. Definitely. And especially when some of these people have been going to regular doctors for years and years without any results. Like one of my clients was married at the age of 17. And when she came to me, she was almost 50 years old. And in all those years of being treated, I think she only once had a pregnancy, which failed. And she never even got pregnant on all the treatments. Um, Baruch Hashem, at the age of, I believe, 51, she had twin girls. Twins, wow. And this was after coming to me for about a half a year of treatments. Half a year? Something like that. Wow. And it's probably a lot less invasive than the conventional fertility treatments, um, at least physically invasive. Which kind of brings me to my next um, next question. So there seems to be a stigma with hypnosis. Um, people, it's, it sounds to be like it, it's just a mystery of what exactly it is. Could you could you break down what hypnosis is to the masses? I'll try my best. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. The brain is very intricate, right? And we have different states of mind in the brain. Okay. Sometimes you're in a sleep state sometimes you're in a wide awake state sometimes you're in a daydreamy type of a state right our brain waves change 
when our brain waves change, we'll feel ourselves in a different state. So what we want to do in hypnosis, we want to change the brain waves to get something similar to a daydreamy type of state. That will be like alpha waves or theta waves. I mean, this is all complicated. And, you know, we, I don't measure anything when I'm doing hypnosis. I get my cues from the client because there are certain physical cues that I can see in her body that's letting me know that she's going into trance. Okay, so her hypnosis is a trance state. It's like if we had a Navi, we never experienced a Navi, but a Navi always got his Navua in a trance state. Besides Moshe Rabbeinu, every other Navi was in a state of trance. They were disconnected to some degree from the outside world. Um, Now, hypnosis has a very, very long history. Okay, it wasn't always known as hypnosis. It wasn't always used for therapy, but hypnosis really goes back thousands of years. I'll give you just a very short history to give you an idea. Now, probably every single culture, ancient culture in the world used hypnosis and healing, right? So if you go back even 5,000 years to Egypt, they had what they called sleep temples, sleep temples or dream temples, and what this was, it was the sleep temple was something like a hospital. People came there for, cure, for cures. And of course, you had the priest, the high priest who did his ritual. And of course, they invoked the gods and the spirits. But what they were doing in essence in these sleep temples were putting the people into a trance-like state, a hypnotic state. Okay, they did chanting, they did, uh, maybe they brought sacrifices, maybe they had dreams, they had uh, fasting, they had baths, but essentially they put the people into a trance-like state. Later on, this moved on to Greek, into Greek, you had the same type of sleep temples, and this went on throughout the centuries. Of course, it wasn't known as hypnosis at that time, okay? Let's go forward in time, and we come to a doctor by the name of Franz Mesmer. He was a uh, doctor, he was a physician in Vienna. He died in 1815. Now, Mesmer became very famous in his time. He was a doctor, a qualified doctor, but he figured out, he sort of invented or figured out a system in which he, which he used for healing. And he called it animal magnetism. And he was very, very successful. He got loads and loads of people to come to him and he healed them and he even rented halls and he would even treat 200 people at a time. And he treated the elite, the rich and elite people of Vienna, and he was extremely successful. Now, his animal magnetism was his theory. It it really wasn't true at all. There was nothing true about it. But who is this Mesmer? I mean, how do we relate to Mesmer today? Have you ever seen a child who's listening to a teacher, a very good teacher, an educator, a storyteller, and there is, it, it, that storyteller is so compelling that the child is totally fixed on them, totally concentrating on them. And we would use the term, and we would say that child is mesmerized, right? I'm oh, just thinking that, yeah. That's right. Mesmerized means you're in a state of hypnosis or a state of trance. That word mesmerized came from Franz Mesmer. Okay, he was so famous for what he was doing that his name became a verb, mesmerized. Now, at some point in time, the doctors of his generation 
discounted him. They said, whatever he's doing, is, it's not real. It's bluff. It's whatever it was. He moved away from Vienna. He went to Paris. He had a practice in Paris. He was very successful until the doctors over there discounted him. And slowly but surely, he disappeared. But what he was doing, he called it animal magnetism. He had his theory about it, but that wasn't really true. That was something he made up or something he believed in, but it wasn't real science. Many year, many decades later, there was a person by the name of James Braid. This was in 1843. And he formally discovered hypnosis. And he said that what Mesmer was doing was a form of hypnosis. In other words, when he put a person into a trance state, you become very suggestible. So the people he was training were becoming suggestible to his suggestions, and that was what was healing them. So most of the ailments were probably psychological ills or diseases. What we have, what we call today psychosomatic disease or psychosomatic illness, mm-hmm. it could be a real disease or a real illness. You have a real physical symptoms, <clears throat> but the root is something in your mind. There's something in your emotions. So that was Mesmer in the, uh, the, the early 1800s. Let's go forward in time. And again, he, wa- he wasn't known as a hypnotist in his day and age, but decades later, they referred back to him as a hypnotist. Let's go forward in time to a doctor by the name of Dr. Milton Erickson. He died in 1980. He was an American psychologist and psychiatrist. And he specialized in medical hypnosis and family therapy. So Erickson, we use hypnosis in such a way that we really have to thank him because he removed a lot of the stigma that surrounded hypnosis and he turned it into a legitimate form of therapy. Up until then, people were thinking of hypnosis as some kind of a carnival show, you know, stage hypnosis, where people do funny things, you know, they bark like dogs or they cluck like chickens, but you know, like it's sort of a ridiculous kind of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So Milton Erickson, by using hypnosis to heal people, and he was a very well-recognized doctor. He was a psychiatrist. Um, that's what he was able to do. He was able to take away the stigma and to show up hypnosis as a very real therapy. Okay, he liberated hypnosis from the stigma. And, um, and it, became, it became legitimate. It became legitimate. It became something that doctors began using more and more. So today, you know, people might have a struggle with stopping to smoke or losing weight or with insomnia or, you know, changing habits. And they'll go to a hypnotherapist to help them, right? But again, this wasn't always the case. Again, it was, we can say thank you to Milton Erickson, who allowed hypnotherapy to become a legitimate and, and, and a dignified way of treating people. So what happens in hypnosis when you get into that state, a trance state, um, you're much more suggestible, but you're actually dealing with the subconscious mind, not with the conscious mind, because the conscious mind, in other words, I'm talking to you now and I'm talking to you very logically, right? And my listeners are listening to me talking logic. If I would say anything ridiculous, they would right away discredit me or discredit my statement, right? That's the conscious mind. 
Mm-hmm. But the subconscious mind, which is much more powerful and has much more of an effect over us, you know, they say that if your conscious mind is four or five percent of your mind, your subconscious mind is about 95 percent of your mind. And it's also doing all kind of functions that you have no idea about. Like you don't know how to digest your food. <laughs> you don't know how to make your hormones work. You don't know. Yeah, how to... I've been doing that my whole life. I have no idea right. how to do I it. I have though. no idea how you do it. <laughs> You don't know how to fix a broken bone. I mean, who's doing it? A part of you was doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's in the subconscious, what they even call it the unconscious mind. So in hypnosis, that's what we want to deal with. We want to deal with that part of the mind that really has much more power. How do we know it has much more power? Because, for example, if a person has a fear, a phobia, let's say an elevator phobia, they're afraid to go in the elevator. If they go in the elevator, if the door is closed, they get a panic attack. They feel like fainting. Now, a person doesn't want to have an elevator phobia because it means when they're in the hotel, they have to walk up 20 flights of stairs and they're not interested in doing that. So they don't want this phobia. So consciously, they may say to themselves, what are you afraid of? You know, there's an, everybody does it. The littlest child does it. There's an, a button to push if anything happens, an emergency button. What is there to be afraid of? So consciously, they're not afraid. But as soon as they get in the elevator and the doors close, they have the panic attack. So who's doing it? It's the subconscious mind that has a reason for fearing the elevator. That they're not, they may be aware of it or they may not be aware of what the reason is, right? So in order to get the person out of this phobia, you have to deal with the subconscious part of the mind. It won't help you to deal with the conscious part of the mind. Because that part has no influence. Mm-hmm. So um, how do you get there? How do you, how do you get to the subconscious part of the mind? Well, that's the skill of the hypnotist. That's a way, a way of talking, a way of doing things. Um, I mean, a mother doesn't have to be taught how to lull her child into sleep. She'll just know instinctively how to talk or soothe the child so they'll fall asleep, right? Mm-hmm. A certain way of being, of talking, of acting, of behaving, right? The certain words she'll use. And that's what the hypnotist does. They use language and they use other, there are other aspects besides language that they sort of lull their clients into this trance state. Now, another very interesting thing that Milton Erickson did was he developed what's called indirect hypnosis. What that means is, If I command you to do something, you may resist because people don't always like to be told what to do. That's an authoritative state. That's an authoritative way of doing hypnosis. I say, you're going to stop smoking. You hate cigarettes. It doesn't always work well, right? Because people can become resistant. So what Melvin Erickson did, he developed a system in which it was called indirect. In other words, the person may not have even been realized that they were going into hypnosis. It was like getting in the back door. Is it against their will? So you see, just like a doctor has to be ethical in treating Mm -hmm. patients, a hypnotist has to be ethical as well in treating patients or clients, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. You have to have their benefit in mind. If you have your own benefit of, in mind, you're not ethical and you shouldn't be practicing. Just like a doctor, right? Right. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole idea. So 
part of when hypnosis will be successful is if the client feels that they can trust me. If the client feels that I have their best interest in mind. So, for example, if a mother were to bring in her teenage son to get him to stop smoking, now she wants him to stop smoking, but he doesn't want to. So most likely the hypnotist will not succeed because this is not something that the client wants to do. The client can't be forced into it. Right. So if you have a reason why you don't want to do this thing, or if morally you feel that something is morally incorrect, you're not going to go along with it. Or if you feel that your safety is being threatened, you won't go along with it. So if people get afraid, they think they'll lose control. So they say, you know, if you're in hypnosis, even in a deep state, and the fire alarm were to go off suddenly, you would immediately wake up and jump out of your seat and run out of the house because you have an internal mechanism that keeps you safe, okay? Mm -hmm. And then you have this internal mechanism which will protect you from doing something that you feel is morally incorrect. So I can't make a person kill somebody or steal their wallet or, you know, rob a bank. I cannot do that unless they want to. <laughs> so, so anyone on stage who clucks like a chicken, hops like a kangaroo, barks like a dog, they, there's a part of them that wants to do it. Exactly. You got it. Okay. Age hypnotist is very skillful. He knows exactly who to choose as his volunteers because he can tell by, by certain you know, there are ways to tell that these people are more susceptible. These people are more suggestible. These people want to perform. They want to be on stage. Okay? They're raising their hand to get up on stage to be on display. <laughs> right, right, right. And um, I remember one of my, my earliest hypnosis teacher, one of my early hypnosis teachers telling us, he was once in the stage show and the uh, he was directly was commanded to go in the audience and I don't know and sit in the lap of some woman and give her a kiss or hug whatever and he felt it was morally wrong and he didn't want to do it and he said it was a struggle but he did overcome I mean he he did stay in control of himself and he didn't do it okay he was able to overcome the influence of the hypnosis I, I, did I answer your question? I don't yeah. even remember what the question was. <laughs> it's okay. You even answered several more questions I was going to get at. So I'll, sk- I'll, I'll skip on down. Um, I noticed in the title of your book, it says Healing with Hypnosis, the Jewish Way. Why would someone think hypnosis is not Jewish in the first place? Okay. I'm a religious woman, and I basically, I'm, most of my clients, I would say, are religious people, right? And I don't want anybody to think that I'm presenting to them a technique that's, you know, going to work magic and do amazing things. I want them to know that all refuah comes from Hashem. Hashem mm-hmm. is the real faith. Okay? If I am able to affect change, I am a shaliach of Hashem. So I always want to connect whatever I do in whichever area. Okay, this is not the only thing I teach. I teach other things as well. You know, I deal with other things as well. I use many different modalities um, when I work with people, okay, not just hypnosis. So I want them to know that it's Hashem who's healing them. However, we put in a certain amount of hishtadlut, of effort, and if Hashem wills it, he will give the success. He will make it work. And so all, if you read my book, you'll see that all the stories, I'm always connecting the people to Hashem. I'm trying to 
help have them feel more amuna and more belief and more positive thinking and all of that. And, um, you know, I don't know how well this would work if I, if I, if I dealt with a secular person, but I've had, Mm -hmm. I've had, I did have secular clients and I always ask them before I start, do you believe in God? Because if they don't believe in God, I will have a little bit of a difficulty. Not that I mm. can't work with them. Right. But, it, but me, who I am as a person, you know, I won't be coming through the way I want to come through. Okay. I from, want them to you know said, the power comes from above. Mm-hmm. And from what you said, it sounds like so much of what you do, they're innate um, intuitive tools. So it has to be coming from you spo- uh, spontaneously. So if there's a barrier for you being able to express yourself as a hypnotherapist, that's going to be a barrier in their treatment. Yes, true. Exactly. So, so how yeah. do you know what tool to use for each client in session? Okay, that's a good question. Very good question. So, of course, you know, we have hypnotherapy scripts. You know, you can buy book, books, thick bookloads of scripts. You know, somebody wants to do well in an exam, somebody wants to fall asleep at night, whatever it is. You can read a script. That's a very technical way of doing hypnosis. You know, like a formula to fit the problem. But that, you know, maybe in the beginning I use scripts, but at some point in time, it's just a matter of intuition. You have to get the feel of the person. Of course, I ask questions. I ask them questions before we start because I want to know what they think about things, what they believe, what turns them on, what turns them off, what makes them happy, what makes them sad. And then I will utilize, I will very often utilize the words they use in the session. Um, The session, first you have an induction. An induction means you bring them into trance. And then once they're in that state, then you begin the therapy. And um, so it, there's a lot of intuition that goes into it. There's a lot of siyata deshmaya help from above to give me the right insights. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean I never make mistakes. And it never means I never say the wrong thing. But I think most of my, at least in the recent years, has been using my intuition, what would help this person best. Mm-hmm. And then when we discuss the session afterwards, if they have any objections or anything that left them feeling uncomfortable, we discuss it. And then I can tweak, I can tweak the session for the next time, you know, to make it more appropriate to what they were feeling, experiencing and so on. So it's not like you use a standardized system of tools and or standardized um, structure, I guess, for your sessions. You kind of figure it out as you move along and cater it to each individual client. Exactly so. And um, sometimes when I have a recurring session, you know, the following session, I'll have to ask my client, what did we do last time? Because I don't remember. Because it was all spontaneous. Mm -hmm. I had nothing written down in advance of what I'm going to do. Of course, today I do record all my sessions. And today, most of my sessions are done by Zoom ever Mm -hmm. since COVID started. Sure. Um, Sure. So I have the recordings, but there were times where I wasn't recording. And then I would just say, what in the world did we do? I can't remember. <laughs> Even though they may have, they may have had benefit and, you know, things may be moving along beautifully. I just don't always, didn't always remember what I did with them. And that's because it is so spontaneous. Right. Exactly. So it, it sounds like um, there's a, you're, you're using so much, like you said, as you put it, natural siyata dishmaya 
and it's it's more shooting from the head, which really fits your personality. Have everything's from Hashem, everything's from above. Then I have my plan. It's the same. Munch trocht and good lacht. Man plans, God laughs. So I'm going to have an idea for this session, but who knows where it's going to go? Exactly. Exactly. So it, <laughs> it's, you're right, because that happens very often. I do sometimes have some sort of a plan in mind, you know. Right. First of all, I do have a goal. You have to have a goal for the session. That's different. That's not mm-hmm. a plan. The goal is, um, I don't know, somebody wants to sleep at night, you know, so I have to think what's going to enhance her. What is she doing to disturb her sleep? And what do we have to, you know, what do we have to neutralize? What do we have to get out of the way? What do we have to include? So there's mm-hmm. a plan. There is a goal, but exactly how I do it in hypnosis, that comes in the session, that, that develops, it evolves. And you have to remember that you see, when you talk to the subconscious mind, you don't use logic. It's, it's not like talking like I'm talking to you now. You influence the subconscious mind through stories and mishalim, you know, parables, creativity. You can use color. Like, it has nothing to do with logic. It, it, it has influence in a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to learn that language. I mean, when I be, when I became trained to begin with, I took a course and I was I got my certification, but I didn't feel like I could go out and hypnotize somebody. I didn't feel prepared. So I worked in my teacher's um, low fee clinic. OK, that means clients will come in and pay a very low fee because students were watching. You know, they were observing the teacher working. Okay, we were sitting in the room together with our teacher as he worked on the clients. Once in a while, the teacher would allow us to work on the client under his supervision. Mm-hmm. So I put in about 100 hours in the low fee clinic just to get my, you know, my stage, my, my expertise, you know, my experience until I felt ready to go out on my own. So, of course, there are certain techniques that you pick up, you know, there are certain formulas that you can use. That's all to begin with. But if you're not going to be spontaneous, I think you're not a real good hypnotist. Too rigid. It sounds like it won't even work. It, it sounds like it's, it'll be too, too um, logical in a sense. You're not, you're not talking to the subconscious mind. It's almost like the opposite of CBT to an extent. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> almost. I don't, know. <laughs> you, you I, know, don't quote me on that one. I may be off with it, but it... Which, I don't know which, about psychology. I'm not a psychologist. I didn't study psychologists. If, I, if I'm working in any psychological way, it's, again, it's from intuition. Mm-hmm. It's from understanding more how people think, how they respond, un, you know, getting to understand how the mind works. But it's not because I studied it, right? It's because you know it. You experienced it. It's real. And I noticed one of the techniques you've used throughout your book is um, you help people find a source of strength within them. And very often, it's an external source of strength. So, um, for example, you, you, have, you have clients find, I think it was a counselor who gave them strength and visualized them. So why go that route as opposed to finding an innate inner strength with themselves? Okay. The client may feel that she doesn't have strength. She believes she doesn't have strength. She believes she cannot overcome this on her own. So if that's her belief system, we have to bypass it. So again, we work in such a way with subconscious mind that you don't need logic. So here, if I have this wonderful counselor 
who is a beautiful example of strength and ability and kindness and goodness. And she's willing to share her strength with the client. So that's what we do. So in hypnosis, in the trance state, we have this client, this, this weak woman, sort of uh, absorbing some of the strength of this wonderful, beautiful client, uh, counselor of hers who's willing to share some of the strength of her. And even though it doesn't make sense logically, but they come out of it feeling empowered. Mm-hmm. So it maybe it awakens up a sense that they actually do have strength that they didn't really know about, or maybe they feel that they got it from the outside. I mean, why do we daven? Why do we go to the hotel? We absorb, we absorb that energy, right? That positive mm-hmm. energy, and it gives us strength. And it, it's interesting because it's not like you bring that counselor into the into the into the office for the session. It's coming from within. So even though the source is from without, but in order to conjure up that energy, it actually has to inherently come from within. So as we're talking, I'm realizing it really is more of an inner strength than the client realizes. Yes. Yes. But and when they're in a trance state, they don't, they, they feel as though they're living, they're experiencing it. They're experiencing an experience. It seems real to them. Of course, there's different depths of hypnosis. Um, not every depth, you know, you have deeper states and you have lighter states. And sometimes in a lighter state, the, the client is totally aware of what's going on around them. However, they still focused on me, on my voice, on what we're doing. And sometimes in a very deep state, they totally block out the outside world. I mean, I, I live in a place where we have dogs barking because, you know, we have a firm community, but next door to us is an irreligious community. So there are dogs. And I can say to the client after the session, did the barking dogs bother you? And they say, what dogs? Never heard them. Oh, wow. So that's when they're in a deeper state. But you don't necessarily have to be in a deep state to gain the benefit. Okay, because we have something called guided imagery, which is quite similar, but you don't have to literally get them into a trance state. You just get them to imagine things. As soon as you begin imagining, like you probably want to understand a bit more about the mind-body connection, right? Because we My always- My next question, call. actually. Okay. So this is it. The mind affects the body and the body affects the mind. How do we know that? You know, how do we have a good example, an easy example of that? Okay. You're reading a scary story. This book is so scary. Okay, the evil person is breaking into the heroine's house with his knife in his hand, right? And you know the story is not true. You know it's not happening. It's not real. But what happens is you read that story, your heart starts beating, you get shivers up and down your spine, you know, your muscles are tense, your breathing is shallow. You feel physically. Physically, you're changed. Physically, it feels like there's danger, even though you know that there's no danger. So that's the degree. When you imagine something vividly, it's going to affect your physical body. If you want to have an example of this, we could do this right now. This is very good for people to realize how strong is this mind-body connection. Okay, so for a moment, close your eyes. And whoever's listening, close your eyes. And imagine yourself going to the refrigerator, opening the door. You feel the cold air on your face. Open up the vegetable drawer the fruit and vegetable drawer, look around for a lemon, 
pick up the lemon, feel that cold lemon in your hand, feel the bumps on the surface of the lemon, and maybe the skin is somewhat oily. Now take this lemon to the counter, put it on a cutting board, take a sharp knife, cut open the lemon, and you see the juice spilling out on the board. Now take a half a lemon in your hand, bring it up to your nose, smell that delicious lemony smell, and then open your mouth wide and take a big bite of that lemon and feel that sour juice filling your mouth. Okay, now you can open your eyes and you can tell me what you experienced. When you said smell the lemon, I started yeah. salivating. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to be now, is, now, you knew there was no lemon there, right? right? But your body was thinking there's a lemon there and I have to digest it. That's why you salivate because that's part of the digestion system, right? Being turned on. You understand? Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? And I'll tell you, it's about, I do this very often in my workshops. It's about 90% of the time I get this response. Either they salivated, some people taste the sour taste, some people did not want to bite. I mean, they know the lemon's not there, but they say, no, 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 I'm not biting in their mind. <laughs> so you see how powerful this is. So now this is just a nice example, but how does it affect us in healing? So the thing is this. The, when the mind visualizes something very vividly, it believes it to be true and it interprets it as a real thing and the body responds in kind. So if I'm um, telling a, a, a someone who's in pain and I say, well, I'm giving you now a nice dose of Novocaine or, you know, some other anesthetic medication and, and they feel the effects in trance. But when they come out of trance, their pain can have diminished, okay? Because pain, again, is something that's coming from the mind. I mean, it's a real reason. There is a real reason for pain. But the way you experience it comes from the mind. So it sounds like the mind-body connection. You go to the mind to directly affect the body. Exactly. You go straight to the subconscious. I guess, you know, make a little shift. And that that's where the healing could come about. I mean, your your stories are phenomenal. Stories of infertility, of cancer treatments, of, of actual healing that people haven't experienced with conventional medica- medicine. And I noticed you never you never say that you're anti-medicine. To the contrary, you're pro it and you try to get people to a place where their body can be receptive to the I believe the what was the, the chemotherapy, the, the elixir, the bubbly elixir? Yeah, or, spark- or something like that. Sparkling spring waters. That's what it, it was. Came out with sparkling spring waters. Sparkling yes. spring water, and uh-huh. and she was able to also with the doctor with that that specific um, patient. Um, she had a doctor who, who it was Doctor Sabrina, who she couldn't stand, which you saw was impacting her treatment, getting her to accept Doctor Sabrina, appreciate Doctor Sabrina, got her to accept the medicine, and and at the end, if I remember correctly, she was in remission helping other women who are suffering from cancer. That's right. And she was my first cancer patient. Oh, wow. Straight from, I I believe it was from uh, somewhere, uh, I don't know, uh, somewhere in New Hampshire, I had taken a course with the National Guild of Hypnotists. And I came to Muncie. I I stayed there for a few days and I treated her daily. 
We had daily sessions for a couple of hours each time. And this woman is healed. Okay, she was undergoing treatment. Right. Yes. But her body wasn't rejecting them after I worked with her. And she's alive and kicking today. I don't know uh, how many years later. (laughs) (laughs) 25 years later. (laughs) Right. So if someone's a total skeptic of of hypnosis, can it help? Well, you see, the hypnotist has to have a certain amount of skill, right? And if the hypnotist knows how to get beyond their resistance, you know, or show them in some way how this works. Like I just did the lemon demo with you, right? Mm -hmm. So if a skeptic went through that and they salivated, they would understand that there is a mind-body connection. So if they go into hypnosis totally, totally skeptical, I mean, what brought them to try it? Maybe there is some element of doubt that maybe this thing can work. You know, see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if the hypnosis has enough skill, they can work with them. You know, I'm not saying that every single person is going to be hypnotizable if they're actually against it. You know, right? But like, what are they doing in my office if they don't want to get helped? Mm-hmm. So the kind of like we said about the stage hypnotist, they want to be on stage, even if they even if they're resisting it, they want to be in your office even if they're skeptical, even if they're a little resistant. Right, right. And, you know, sometimes just trying it out for fun. And sometimes people do not enjoy this type of therapy. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, the subconscious mind can bring up old trauma, can bring up old memories, can bring up all kinds of things that very often the client is not ready to face. And that's why they have suppressed these feelings or these emotions or these memories. You know, there could be many reasons why people just don't feel comfortable. You know, just give me a pill and leave me alone. Right. Right, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. You know, a couple of times I had that. I don't want to go there. Well, if you don't want to go there, don't go there. I'm not going to force you. Right. I'm not going to force you. I'm here to help you. Exactly. So if you want it, I can help you. If you don't want it, fine. Go to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And and as Uh, you said, you put it so well, maybe they're not ready to face it. You know, in my own practice, I'll, I'll find it with the clients. They're just not ready to face it. And they'll say, I don't want to go there. And I'll say, look, this is your session. I respect that. You know, if you're ready, you let me know. We can go there. And when they're ready, that's when change could happen. But if you do it prematurely, you can end up in a net negative. They can have a disdain for therapy. Of course. That's right. So we have a few okay. minutes left. It's almost pay, almost, almost era Pesach. Uh, can you leave us with some kind of relaxation technique? Um, I know you mentioned the uh, the inner smell technique when we spoke before. Okay. Got us through that. Yeah. Yes. And if this works for you, so you get a wonderful gift, a hypnotic gift, and it can take as short as five minutes. Okay. So I'd like you to close your eyes and take a few deep breaths and feel yourself relaxing with every breath that you take. And remember how powerful your imagination is, what a great effect it can have on your body. So I want you to imagine right now. I want you to imagine or pretend or make believe that your eyes are relaxing so much that they just don't want to work. They just refuse to work because they're so comfortably relaxed. But I want you to imagine that they are so relaxed that they are now 
literally or almost literally glued together. So imagine that your eyelids are glued together and hold on to that feeling. So you imagine or pretend, pretend or imagine that your eyelids are glued together. And as you get that feeling, I want you to try. I want you to try to make them work. I want you to try to open them. But you know that the harder you try, the harder it won't happen because you are holding on to the feeling of the eyes being glued together, those eyelids, okay? So once you've tried, you can stop trying, but hold on to the feeling of relaxation. Now let this feeling of relaxation spread into your entire body from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. So feel that feeling of relaxation moving out through it into every cell of your body. And now your body is so relaxed, so relaxed, so heavy, so comfortable. And it just doesn't feel like working. It feels so comfortable, it just doesn't want to work. So that's when you start again to try. And the harder you try, the harder it is to make it happen. And you can imagine and pretend and pretend and imagine that you are glued to your chair, that your arms are glued to the armrest or to your lap and your feet are glued to the floor and the back is glued to the back of the chair. And when you get the feeling and you pretend that you are literally glued to your chair, that's when you try. So you try lift, lift your arm and you see that the harder you try, the harder it is to make it happen. And you try to lift your leg and you see the harder you try, the harder it is to make it happen. And it just won't happen. And then you stop trying and you allow that feeling of relaxation to spread out once again through every single cell of your body. And then just enjoy that feeling of relaxation. And now I'd like you to imagine the next step. Imagine your very own face right there opposite you, okay? Your own face opposite you with a very big smile on your face, a beautiful, exuberant smile. And you know, when someone smiles at you, you feel like smiling back. It's just a kind of a reflex. So look at your smiling face. And that smile is so big, so great, so amazing, so powerful. It looks maybe like you won the lottery. That smile is going from ear to ear. And as you observe the smile on your face, and you're picking up the energy of that smile, and the energy of that smile is making you feel like smiling in return. That's right. So go ahead and feel the energy of that smile and allow it to work on you and allow yourself to turn your lips up into a beautiful, exuberant, happy, powerful smile that's going from ear to ear. That's right. And you don't even know what you're smiling about. You just feel like smiling. And that's an amazing feeling. And this feeling can dissipate a lot of the pain in your life or a lot of the down feeling in your life. So now, even though you're going to come back to this room very soon, but I want you to hold on, hold on to this beautiful feeling of smiling, whatever you're smiling about, just keep that feeling with you. Why let it go? If you have it, take this gift with you. So hold on to that beautiful feeling of smiling and gradually come back to full consciousness, back to this room. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> it's good, huh? Yeah. Good. Very good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. I, so whenever you feel down, whenever you feel down, just go through this little rigmarole, this little ritual. 
take a couple of deep breaths, imagine your eyes glued together, test them, you know, see that they stay glued. Then imagine your body being glued to the chair, test it, see that you stay glued. And then continue with the smile, with the inner smile. Could you explain what you saw on my face during this? Okay. I saw a great smile. First of all, it wasn't a smile. It just started very gradually. And then before I knew it, it was a big, great, beautiful smile. That's how it felt like. Thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find your books? How can they contact you? Okay. Well, I am... I've been t- working with people for over 50 years, so I'm a little old fashioned and I do not have a website. Okay. okay. But I have an email address and my email address is brachatop, B-R-A-C-H-A-T-O-P at gmail.com. Amazing. And where can people find your books? Um, I guess in all Jewish bookstores. It's produced by Mosaic Press and Time distributes them all over. And just ask for them. Um, Amazing Hypnotherapy Tales is my last book. And I have two novels that I produced before that, uh, which has a little bit of autobiographical information in there. How I became a hypnotist is sort of in my stories. And um, that's it. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, Mr. Taborovich. Thank you so, so much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I hope this can be helpful to people. Very much. I really appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Okay. All the best. Bye-bye. And have a wonderful kosher and Pesach. Thank you, Amen. You too. With your inner smile on your face most of the time. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. That was a lot of fun. Hope you all enjoyed that just just as much as I did. Please try that inner smile technique. I, I felt myself bubbling with joy as I was doing it, and I just started giggling more and more as as she was guiding me through that technique. So give it a shot, especially with this stressful season right before Pesach. And please pick up one of Mrs. Toborovich's books. You can find them at mosaicapress.com, feltheim.com, Amazon, or wherever you find Jewish books, including your local Jewish bookstore. And if they don't have it, please request it because these books are phenomenal. I mean, I read Amazing Chemotherapy Tales and I was inspired. It was incredible. The amount, the amount of good that she does for the Jewish woman is just, it's phenomenal, and I highly recommend it. It was a great read. It was an easy read and a fun read. That's it for this week's episode of Monday Morning Motivation. I'm your host, Morty Liss. Thank you to David Chesner for the intro music. You can find David Chesner's music on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. Thank you, Jewish Podcasts, for hosting our show. You can find us at jewishpodcasts.fm slash morty. That's jewishpodcasts.fm slash M-O-R-D-Y. Or search Monday Morning Motivation with Morty Liss. That's Monday Morning Motivation with Morty Liss, M-O-R-D-Y-L-Y-S-S, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, Audible, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe, and please leave a five-star review to help boost our ratings. And please share this podcast with a friend, especially this episode. Anyone who you think could be helped through either hypnosis itself or or just overall mental health. And well-being. This was a great episode, and I hope it was we were able to really break the stigma when it comes to hypnosis. I feel people think it's this heebie-jeebie guy, you know, swinging a pendulum, saying you're going, you're getting sleepy. But it's so much more than that. It's so much deeper. And please share this. If you have any feedback or just want to say hi, you can email me at Monday Morning Motivation Podcast at gmail.com. That's Monday Morning Motivation Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, I'm your host, Morty Liss. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope to see you all next time for another episode of another episode of Monday Morning Motivation. Until then, have an incredible and amazing week.